Welcome to Life's a Beach. I'm Bruce Hopkins, better known as Hoppo from Bondi Rescue. Each week I'll be sharing some stories, the good, the bad and everything in between. I'll be chatting to guests about their life experiences and giving our listeners an insight to the challenges we have faced in our lives. We'll share a few jokes and some banter along the way and hopefully our experiences will resonate with you. As the saying goes, while life's a beach, it can also be a bitch. Welcome to another episode of Life's a Beach. I'm Hoppo, and this week I'm excited to chat to Mikey Robbins about his career in being a comedian, TV presenter, and also gives us some of his beach experiences. Also, lifeguard Maxie comes into the beach shack to tell us about his career as a fireman, and I'll also read out some letters from the fans. Welcome, Mikey, to Life's a Beach. It's great to have you in the beach shack, and uh, how's it all going, mate? Good, Hoppo. I am, as my grandfather used to say, fit, fat and fat. <laughs> I must say, though, you're, uh, you have trimmed down a little bit since the last time I've uh, seen you. A couple of months ago, yeah. My wife managed to convince me that a mandarin is a chocolate <laughs> because you've got to unwrap it and it breaks up into segments. <laughs> Seriously, like, you know, all the lockdown stuff, all the stuff we've been through, a lot of people were hitting the grog and I gave it a nudge. But Jesus Christ, mate, I was hitting the Daryl Lee dark chocolate covered bullets like nobody's business. Yeah, mate, I don't mind them. Either. Oh, mate, they're, they're wicked. But yeah. yeah, since the last time I saw you was about a few months ago, I've given up the sweet. Yeah, I was a bit cranky for a week or two. Yeah. It's, it's almost like giving up the smokes. But yeah, mate, yeah, I have dropped a few kegs since the last time I saw you. You grew up Newcastle way, and, yeah, and I mean, you know, I'm a lifeguard and hanging around the beach and pretty much all my life. But you would have had a, a beach experience back in when you were growing up? Mate, I was, I was a little nipper at Cooks Hill Surf Lifesavers Club. Little fat nipper. The only thing I was good at was the pillow fight. <laughs> <laughs> and um, my dad was a bit of a ledge. Dad was, uh, I think he was chairman at, at Newcastle Surf Lifesaving Club. And also he used to row in the boat. My favourite story about, about dad, there's actually a photo of it in a book called How to Surf. Dad and the Newcastle boat team are coming down a, a wave. I think it was at Bondi. I think yep. it, was, it was at your beach. He's all caught caught the wave, smacked him in the mouth, lost his front tooth. But the, but the thing he used to drive mum up the wall was the replacement. Placement tooth was perfect for cracking open a bottle of DA. And that was Dad's barbecue trick was to take out his false tooth and crack open a beer. Then she'd go, Bill, it's time to go. But yeah, mate, yeah, I grew up you know, around the beach since I was a kid. And since I was a toddler, my first memories of, of being on the beach. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, and now you're down around uh, our way living, so you've like, had a, a few experiences down there at, at Bondi. Mate, I love Bondi. Actually, it's funny, mate. When I first moved to Bondi, I was a fat, fat, fat bastard. I mean, I was like a block from the beach. I was too embarrassed to go for a swim. Whereas now, I'm a couple of blocks back. There is that thing about, you know, people call us Eastern Suburbs people's wankers, and, and, and we are. But you know what? You're allowed to wank if you can walk to Bondi. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> it's like, how good's life if I can walk to Bondi? <laughs> so, mate, I, yeah, once, once the weather warms up and once the water gets over 19, I'm one of those guys. Yeah, mate, it's just tipping around that 16th at the moment. It's a little bit too cold to be jumping in. Mate, seriously, and also, too, I'm in my late 50s, so when my balls travel up, it's quite a distance. <laughs> it takes a while to come back down. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to scare them back out again, mate. But, yeah, look, yeah, I always, always lived around the beach. And I guess that thing, too, like, you know, even when I was poor and living in Newcastle. You guys, it didn't cost much living in the beach. Is that once you get used to smelling salt air, that is one of the best smells in the world. Yeah, I agree. That's something that, like, growing up as a kid, and you know, summer's coming, you start smelling the salt. And okay, can I ask you yeah. a question, mate? Were yeah. you always a were you a Bondi local as a boy? Yeah, look, I grew up Bronte Bondi. Yeah. Went to school up at Dover Heights there, so I've always been always been around you know, here. Fifty two this year, so you know, I've been all around that area pretty much my whole life. But you're right, there are wankers around oh. the eastern suburbs, mate. Here's what, here's one thing: just because you've got the latest BMW, you still have to indicate. <laughs> I don't like indicating in the eastern suburbs, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, a lot of them are working down the 
the beach. A lot of them uh, don't like hearing the word no either. Oh, yeah. uh, that that really upsets them. Okay, this is this is one story I, I, I tell to explain just how wanky the eastern suburbs is. My local Woolworths has got a walk-in cheese room. That's not a joke. <laughs> Double Bay Woolies has got a walk-in cheese room. And mate, when it first opened up, they're actually selling French truffles. And you know you're in a bullshit suburb when you hear price check on French truffles. Price. <laughs> oh. With the beach though, is what has been the scariest thing you've ever experienced at the beach? You've you've had a lot of oh, time God. over your, your yeah. life, mate. There's one. Jesus, I was about. Eight. I must, yeah, I was eight because dad was, in fact, dad was alive. And dad's weekend job, so he used to work as a travelling salesman. I, I know it's a gag that a comedian's father <laughs> works as a travelling salesman, but he did. But for a weekend, he used, to, he used to call surf carnivals, him and Ron Casey. And we're at Caves Beach, just outside of Newcastle. And I would not have been more than two metres offshore, just having a paddle. And I got covered from my shoulders to my knees with blue bottles. Not just one. What do you call them, a swarm? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, it'd be a swarm yeah. of uh, blue bottles. Wrapped around me. I've been into shock. Dad tells the story of, there's a little uh, boy here um, in the medical tent, uh, looking for his father and mother. He's been severely stung by blue bottles. His name is, oh, Jesus Christ, it's Michael. <laughs> <laughs> well, your dad would looked at it and thought, you know, if, as you said, he was a boatie. And, and back in the day, oh, to get in the boats, they used to stand against the wall, you know, and throw the bricks at him and bounce it off. So what was his a, a, opinion of, of you being in the in the tent? Well, I think he thought I was a bit weak, but then he, <laughs> but then he, then he saw how badly stung I was. But of course, that was the other thing too, mate, and you'd know this. When I was a kid, you got stung by a blue bottle, they'd get the sand on to get it off, and all that it was drive the stinger further in. What do you guys use now? Vinegar? Well, now that it went to vinegar years ago, but now they written the best one now is, is the warm water. So a shower is as hot as you can bear it. Really? And that uh, that clears it off. But obviously at the beach, there's not a lot of hot water around. Nah. So next best thing would be just to ice it. So it just really numbs that pain. And then, of course, you know, as my mother would do, uh, calamine lotion. Seriously, if you break your leg as a kid, my mother would put calamine lotion on. <laughs> <laughs> there was a car accident out the front, she'd go with two balls of calamine. <laughs> but the other scariest moment to me, mate, was, you know Bar Beach in Newcastle? Yep. If you go around the corner, there's a little beach called Susan Gilmore. And I was about 15 with a bunch of mates there. Um, might have been a school day. And uh, we're catching a few waves. And I remember catching this wave and coming off it. And behind me was another wave coming in that had a dolphin in the middle of the wave. But you don't see dolphin, do you? No. You just see big thing with a friggin' fin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I remember, you know, yeah, that, that moment when you're so scared you can't even make a noise. I went from terrified to, oh, dolphin. <laughs> it's always a massive fear when you, as soon as you see a fin. Yeah. Until you realise what it is, yeah, your heart just goes straight in your throat. The, the angriest my wife's ever been with me. <laughs> a couple of years ago, we were up in Port Douglas, yep. and uh, we got together with some mates. We hired a boat to go out to uh, the Low Isles to go do a bit of snorkelling. And we had a bit of a barbecue on the boat, and I may have had a few wines, a few too many. <laughs> and I was throwing some prawn heads in the water, and that got some trevally in. And then this reef shark came in. So I grabbed a snorkel and a yep. mask and a chicken breast, and I... <laughs> Give me the chicken breast. I'm going to feed the shark. As, as you do. As you do. <laughs> so I jump in the water. Fortunately, Trevally nails the chicken breast right out of my hand. So I start swimming after the sharks. About a six foot long reef shark. My wife says it gets bigger every time I tell the story. I'm, 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 I'm swimming behind the shark. And you know how clear the water is up there. So it's like massive visibility. I just got a little bit too close. And like two shakes of the tail, it's gone. And at that point, I sobered up and I went, I'm about 200 metres from the boat. And I don't know where the shark is. <laughs> so I swam back to the boat. And my wife is waiting at the top of the ladder, my arms crossed, you're going, dickhead. Your dying words could have been, give me a chicken breast, I'm going after him. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Mikey, you're, you're a legend of comedy, radio, TV. You've done pretty much everything, author of books. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm an author now. Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Wright, my year 10 English teacher, I'm an author. 
with the jokes, a lot of the times it were, they were fat jokes. Yeah. And I, I suppose that, you know, you've got to laugh, but is that something that, that was hard to do? Yeah, mate, yeah. It, people forget this now, but it was, you know, it was over a decade ago. When I'm, you know, I'm about 115 now, but I got up to 162. And I'd make a joke and you'd get a laugh. And, you know, you like to laugh and you go, oh, shit, I wish I hadn't said that. Yeah. Then someone would have a crack at you and then you have a crack back. You know, and it's, it was that weird thing. It was like so much of what I, the jokes I was doing was just about the fact I was a fat bastard. Mind you, though, when I, when I lost the weight, I did have to write about 20 minutes worth of new material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, it's that thing, too. And I, I never got the shits for anyone having, having a crack at me for being fat because, quite frankly, you know, I'd have a crack at them for yep. this or that. You know, so, well, so, I suppose yeah. it's fair game, isn't it? They have a crack at you being, being fat and mate, you, can, mate, you can rip into them about something. Mate, yeah, if you're getting on stage with a bunch of comedians, you've got to have a thick hide, yeah. particularly for the size of an elephant. One thing, I've, I've been to a few comedy shows and... Do you love it as being a comedian when some joker heckles you from the crowd? You know, a lot of people say, I, I love hecklers. They always stuff up your timing. Yep. That's the worst thing. They always, because you always, you know, you build up a joke and it's usually there's like a pause before you, you let the punchline right. drop. And when some knob yep. shouts out then, it can ruin the joke. But then again, at the end of the day, if you're going to heckle, at least be good. Because if you're not, <laughs> someone's going to tear you a new one. I mean, you know, I, I, I dare anyone to heckle Tom Gleason. Yeah, right. I've, I've seen Tom destroy people. Yeah. Oh, Paul McDermott. Oh, yeah. he can be cruel. He can, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's not really a huge thing in Australia. The Poms are merciless. I mean, I've never performed in England, but I've been in comedy clubs and they are merciless. Yeah. But here, most Australians, unless you get a drunk, and a drunk, there's nothing you can do with. Yeah. It's like, you know, you, you can put shit on them, but they don't get it, you know. Quite frankly, some people, the hard part of their job is being shot at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> having, having some drunken dig and yeah. shout something out, it's not that bad. It's not that bad, yeah. Do you look back at times, you know, over your whole career and, and think, Mikey, you idiot? Oh, yeah. But I'm not going to talk about it. <laughs> uh, mate, look, I'll tell you one thing. You know, I'm, I'm old enough now to look back on over 30 years of doing this. Every time I've done something because I love the idea and I'm excited about it, it's gone okay. And every time I've done something just for the money, it's gone a bit shit. So every time I've gone, yeah, I'm excited about this, I really want to do this, it's actually really worked out. And every time I've gone, you know, I'm sort of doing this for the paycheck, it tends to fall apart. I don't know whether that's just me, but that's that's the only advice I, I can give to anyone. If you're excited about something and you care about something, you're actually going to end up making yep. more dough out of it in the long term yep. than something you just do for the dough. Yeah, I agree. I think if you do that, I mean, a lot of people say about Bondi Rescue, they say, you know, did you do it for... You know, people think you do it for fame or money or whatever it is. Well, at the end of the day, there's not, there's a little bit of fame there, but not much. But then there's there's not a lot of dollars there either. And then, well, I mean, do people still actually are they amazed that you guys actually still work the beach, or or do you just go down and film a few days? Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially overseas around the world, think that we're just actors and and we're just doing this TV show. They don't realise it's our actual professional yeah. full time job. All right, so you, we touched on that. You now. In uh, an author, I'm an author, a, mate. Yeah, you've, you've done a fair few books over the years. Yeah, uh, the the last two have been solo. Right. The first two I, I wrote with other people, and they were, they were like sort of in tie with things I was doing at the time. And the last two have just been me sitting at the desk on my own for about eight months a year. That'd be tough, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah, start talking to yourself at all. Oh, mate, seriously, I, I feel sorry for the shopkeepers around me because you know if you've been writing for four hours in the morning, you go up to go up to get some groceries, and it's like, okay, there's another human being. Oh, I can talk to you, and you know there are those moments where you've been working for a couple of weeks, and then you realise that you've been in track pants. Yep. <laughs> and then when then when we had lockdown, I was in track pants anyway. But the one the one thing I do have, even though my office is like next to my lounge room, I always make sure. I know it sounds silly, but for people working from home, this is my tip. 
have a shower before you sit down at the desk and at least put a polo top on. <laughs> I, I, I know it's weird, mate, but I've, I've got at least feel like I've got a collared shirt on. It makes me feel like I'm working. Feels like you're working. Yeah, I know, it's weird, but that's that's my real. I've got a bunch of polo shirts that I write in. Like, <laughs> if I sit there in a T-shirt, I feel like I'm, I'm slacking off. <laughs> well, you've got a book out just recent called Reprehensible. Polite uh, history is a bad behaviour, mate. That's right. And there's, yeah. some, there's some dirty stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds really good. And give us a little feel of what's well, what mate, it's about. Well, well, okay. Well, I, I say in the book, like, yeah, we live in this time these days with social media and constantly outraged. So it's a vaguely pleasant idea to know that we've been pretty much always awful and pretty much outrageous. I mean, everything from masturbating pharaohs <laughs> right through to the guy who rigged the 1973 soapbox derby so his nephew would win. <laughs> Every scam artist and scoundrel in between. King James I, you know, the, the, he brought the Stuarts gave us the modern Bible. Also, too, the bloke stunk. Yeah. Mate, seriously, <laughs> honestly, when he was hunting, he wouldn't get out of the saddle to go to the bathroom. One, ones or twos. <laughs> and he, But he was a regular bather. He said that he took a bath once a year, whether he needed it or not. He's, so it's all, it's all bad behaviour through history. But my favourite thing, though, was when I've been interviewing it. And, you know, I don't expect everyone who interviews me to read the book. Yep. You know, I've done interviews myself. But he always sort of gravitates to the ones I can't talk about on radio. <laughs> there, was, there was one woman... Lovely interview, a really nice person. She was saying, oh, you've got to tell us about the Mozart chapter. And I went, I can't talk about the Mozart chapter. <laughs> and she goes, oh it's, got, oh, it's got a song. I went, no, we can't read the song out. <laughs> um, without going too far, the giveaway's in the title. Um, it's called Two Pianos, One Cup. I'll, I'll let that sink in, mate. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Mozart had some problems. <laughs> There's a lot there. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's, it's a fun book of really weird stuff that people have done over the years. Yeah. And, and the fact is that we like to think that, you know, we're more outrageous than the other generation. It's, everything's been done before. Yeah, it's all been done. Yeah. I mean, I mean uh, the ancient Greeks invented the strap-on and the double dildo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, mate, they've got the pottery to prove it. <laughs> All right, there's, there's a question I've got which, which might be interesting. You've been in TV as well. Yeah, so yeah. what's one TV show you wish went longer without ruining it or rebooting it? Oh, that's a good question, mate. Will and Grace. Right, yeah. You know what? The first season when it came back, I was like, yeah, good to see him back. Second season, I was like, oh, I prefer it yeah. first time round. Yeah. Um, but then again, you know, I like reboots. I mean, God's sake, good news. We've got rebooted four <laughs> freaking times. I used to love watching that show. Mate, mate, that was a dream job. That was so much fun. You know, I got on well with everyone. And Paul had to spend three, three, four days a week rehearsing. And all I had to do was turn up once a week <laughs> without a hangover. <laughs> that was the hard part. But, you know, look, I don't put shit on other people's shows. So where's the, uh, where to now? Yeah, Mikey, what, you've just got this book out. Have you got anything else in the pipeline coming you know, up? Yeah, I'm working on a podcast. I've got this thing where I, I love history, but I actually needed to, you know, no, I don't mind doing my own research. I thought I didn't really need to tee up with a proper historian. So I met this bloke called Paul Wilson. We actually, we actually met at a boozy lunch at right. the Harold Park Hotel, and he's a real historian with Oxford degrees. Yeah. And so we've been knocking around some ideas for some bizarre history stories where I can I can go weird and he can give the history background and, and he can go a bit weird and I can then go weirder. <laughs> so I'm doing that, kicking around a few ideas for the next book which I've come got it down to two two ideas I can't really say what they are now and apart from that uh, and they'll be eight, eight months again yeah mate yeah. It, it, it's a deep dive I mean at least eight months I mean because these are history books the first one was about food the second one was about bad behaviour it's actually four months before I actually write right. a word yeah you know, I actually drill down into the topic I do some research and when I realise I've got about 150 stories I think are good I think yeah I've got a book yeah, uh, yeah. and also Tim that thing like everyone thinks research is easy now because it's all online the thing is you've got to actually trip check everything i'll give you a quick story mate first book was about food i was looking at weird diets yeah. you know, i've been on a couple myself and i came across this 
article about low-calorie, low-carb toothpaste. And I went, oh, that's so funny. That's great. So I researched it and I researched it. And I'd written about 200 words on it. I went, hang on. It was a parody page. It was a bullshit <laughs> product. And I thought, I've spent a whole morning on this. <laughs> to try and research it. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's the thing. If you, you know, like, you know, when I was a student at uni, you had to go to the library. These days... You can research online, but you've got to triple check all your facts. Yep. So that's pretty much it for me. And um, apart from that, uh, I've got no hobbies. Uh, that's <laughs> great. <laughs> Mate, I've got, ch- I've got chubby fingers. I've got, ch- I've got chubby fingers, and I was the last kid in my class to use pointy scissors. <laughs> so, mate, anything involving woodwork with me, someone's going to hospital. That's right. Well, mate, it's great to have you in the uh, the, the beach shack here. And- oh, mate, it's lovely to talk to you. Look, I'll probably see you down at Bondi sometime. Yeah, mate, I'll go down. We'll have a swim. Have a beer. Cheers, mate. What a great chat that was. If you want to hear more of Mikey, he has a podcast coming out early 2021. Now on to this week's beach banter, lifeguard Maxie joins me to give his insight in being a fireman. G'day Maxie, mate, welcome into the beach shack. It's good to be once again back in the beach shack. Thanks for having me, mate. Mate, you've moved on, you know, still a casual lifeguard, but then you've moved on in the profession of fire brigade. How about giving some stories? You know, you've been there for, what, two, three years now? No, longer. I've been, longer. No, I've been closer to five now. Five years? Five years, yeah, yeah. Jeez, time flies, so time mate. Time flies, mate. Time I flies. still do miss you, though. Yeah. <laughs> it took me six <laughs> years to get in, but I got in my sixth go, and yeah, I can't believe five years down the track. I'm a couple of months off becoming a senior firefighter. I'm part of the heavy rescue squad out of city of Sydney, and I'm in the process of getting my ladder, or Bronto, as they say, my ladder qualification. So ticking boxes in that job, mate, trying to climb the ladder and, you know, be a good leader in the fire brigade. And it's, you know, I've had some good stories, cracking stories over the years. I spent two years as a firefighter out of Redfern, just down the road from where we are speaking at the moment. And, you know, the last three years I've been in the city of Sydney fire station and Castle Ray Street. So what's one of the major things you've dealt with in that five years then? Is it something that stands out? Yeah, there's been plenty of jobs, you know, from being in restaurants with gas bottles exploding to being at big... 10th alarm factory fires out at Liverpool to the vicious bushfires that we suffered from last year you know getting caught out down at Buxton and Mogo and down that way it was pretty full on but just two weeks ago we were at a fire alarm call on Bathurst Street just in the city there uh, near George Street and my experience as a lifeguard come into play we're at a fire alarm this gentleman come running up to the truck saying quick help help my kids not breathing so myself and three other firefighters all jumped out of the truck and we ran towards the mother holding a lifeless child in her arms and, you know, just knowing what to do, got to work, grabbed the child off the mum, took the child near the fire truck in the fend-off position to make sure that it had a bit of privacy, tried to clear the airway, had the kid on its side. She was having convulsions because she was blue. So knowing expertise of fits and convulsions and stuff like that, obviously, you know, there'd be not much oxygen getting in. So I got the guys to get the oxygen out. We managed to get the oxygen therapy on, monitored her vital signs, started getting a bit of colour back. And when the ambos get there this is what got me is you never see ambos run and the ambo had one look and said quickly grab her she's got to go to hospital now so picking her up putting in the ambo and off they went but you know it's not just fighting fires and you deal with medicals we had that really bad car accident on the harbour bridge the fatality i went to that i was second or third arriving to that i was on the heavy rescue truck and you know that was quite a scene yeah i remember that day because when you're up top i could see things were happening and i drove underneath the tunnel yeah day and not realizing it was you up above dealing with this uh, tragedy yeah yeah, no. What I love about being a firefighter is you never know what is going to come, but we try and 
piece together someone's worst day and we try to make it just that little bit better by you know rendering first aid or putting out the fire or doing the rescue effectively so it's like the lifeguards I've, I've been there five years and there's going to be plenty more years to come and same as a lifeguard I'm not going to go any anytime soon so I'm sure there's going to be some tragedies and some triumphs and there's some lows and highs coming but we'll see how we go looking back you you always wanted to be a fireman do you think in hindsight doing that as a professional lifeguard as a younger oh. kid into up till now helped you going into the fire brigade De- definitely definitely you know working in a team calmness patience first aid knowledge reading stressful and risky situations dealing with the public customer service they all kind of factor in and the best thing is is going from the fire station down to the beach complements each other and from going from the beach to the fire station complements each other i'm very lucky that i could still do both jobs and they both help each other in in their respects and as a firefighter i get a lot of respect because people know how busy bondo can be and same sort of thing you know as a firefighter going down to the beach you know the guys down the lifeguards hats off to some of the jobs that i've been involved in as a firefighter so you know i think i just love being in the thick of it and yeah ripping in yeah, that's great. I'm getting a bit nervous now because you might be coming back and teaching me. It might be a big full circle. <laughs> You're getting a bit too have more, you, you more experience than me. Mate, have you got a working smoke alarm? You better. <laughs> no. Anyway, mate, great to uh, see you, Maxie, and we'll catch up again soon. Yeah. No, it's good to be in the shack, mate. See you later. It was good to chat to Maxie in the beach shack. Now for one of my favourite segments on the show, we have the mailbag where we'll hear from all the fans. first letter this week is from Joel and he's from Darwin. How long have you been a lifeguard? Well, this year is my 30th year I'm going to as a professional lifeguard and it's been a great career. I started back in 1991 and so much has changed being a lifeguard in that time. The second letter that's in today is from Jeanette and she is from San Francisco in California. Has the rescue equipment changed much over your career? Well, going way back when I started in the early 90s, we all we had were uh, the rescue tube and pretty much a rescue board. Now, as the years have gone by, we've got the uh, beach bikes on the beach. We've still got the rescue boards and still got the rescue tubes, but throw in now the jet skis, which make it uh, a lot easier to do rescues, and especially in large surf. So yes, the equipment has changed along with all the medical equipment, defibrillators, oxyvivers, they're all uh, come on now that with the new age. So thanks for those questions. It's always good to hear from the fans. So keep sending your letters into the mailbag. Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe to Life's a Beach wherever you get your podcasts and hit us up with questions, comments, or follow us on our social media channels, which you can find in our show notes. That's it for today, beach fans. Stay safe and swim between the flags.